We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Ron Tite, founder, church, and state. He's been named one of the top 10 creative Canadians by Marketing Magazine, a best-selling author, speaker, producer, and entrepreneur, and always blurs the lines between art and commerce. What I appreciate most about you, Ron, is your transparent and authentic voice. Every conversation, LinkedIn post, email, you share the truth in a way that's compelling, honest, and hilarious. Welcome to ROG, Ron. Well, thanks, Shannon. Thanks. That's very kind of you to say. Now, now I'm just going to BS for the next half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> you, I don't think you could. Because <laughs> that's just who you are. Yeah. Totally. Very honest and transparent. So, so awesome. Thank so, you. Give us a little snapshot of your background, Ron. A little all over the place, you know, random acts of creativity, I guess. Um, uh, phys ed grad, like most people in the business, did a phys ed degree. Um, but uh, have spent most of my career in advertising uh, and uh, was an executive creative director of Havas, which is an international agency before starting my own called Church and State. Um, speaker, I'm an author of two books. Um, and I was just a you know stand up for twenty years, which really infiltrates a lot of the stuff that I do in in weird ways, not just like from a from a humor perspective, but just an approach. The approach that I took in stand up kind of finds its way into how I develop creative and how I develop my thinking and how I develop speeches and stuff like that. And then uh, and the the flip side is that I'm um, I'm a granddaddy daddy. I'm I'm fifty two, but I have a two and a four year old. So I got you know married quite late. Um, for the first time. So I think I'm married till I was, you know, 43 kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it's a weird collection of stuff. Yes. Yeah. Worth the wait. And you know, it's, it's, it, that's an important decision. So it sounds like, you know, you waited till you found the right <laughs> yes. person to share your life with. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. And what's interesting is I'm, I met my wife on a, on a flight, uh, on a plane, you know, from Newark to Toronto, and I'm going back to that airport, uh, tomorrow morning. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And are you born and raised in Canada? Yeah. So born in Montreal and, um, you know, for my, my grandfather came from Italy, uh, Nicandro Vocino. And, uh, my grandmother was Quebecois, uh, on my mother's side, both on my mother's side. And so I grew up with that family. My parents divorced quite early. So I grew up really with my mom's family and that too, right? Like, when you look at the the trajectory of you know comedy into writing and and then speaking, that kind of core base of storytelling, both the love of it and the appreciation for it, and you know, an interest in it, was born in my grandfather's basement. I mean, if you want to tell a story, you get a bunch of Quebecois Italians together, and what I what they really taught me really really well. It was fascinating now to look back on it. But, you know, in comedy, there's the art of the bit, you know, like you develop a bit and then you repeat the bit over and over and over again. And then you get gold bits and 
And then if the audience hasn't heard your gold bit, you use the bit, right? You use the bit. And I noticed this growing up where if, you know, I've got 23 cousins, I think. So there would be somebody new to the family dynamic, like a new boyfriend or girlfriend or a guest or something like that. And the whole family was there. Somebody would say to other people, they go like, hey, Frank, tell her the story about the time, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that person would go into this beautifully scripted bit that had been performed a million times before and everybody in the room had heard it. And they knew the accents and they knew the beats and they knew where the laughs were, they knew where to pause and everything. And they knew the art of the bit. Wow, that you know, that reframes retelling a story. You know, some people are like, oh, you probably heard this already or forgive me if I have said this multiple times. But really, if you think about it more of like these legendary legacy stories that are worth retelling and they're part of integrating somebody into your family history, um, even just giving them familiarity of like who we are and what we do. I think that really reframes for me the the retelling of a story and, and the similarity of having a bit and having um, a signature story or something that you find entertaining, but also informative. Yeah, there is, you know, um, when you've got a great, when you've got a signature story, how dare you not tell it to an audience who's paying you to be? How dare you do that? You, it's your best story that's performed brilliantly and with a strategic relevant point. How dare you not tell that to the audience? They deserve that. The other part is for, you know, because sometimes I would get concerned, like, oh, there might be 10 people who've heard this one bit before. And, you know, the thinking there is, you know, people don't go to church to be converted. They go to be reminded. You know, they've heard all that before. They've heard everything they hear on every Sunday or whatever house of worship, whatever listener is, you know, goes to a temple or a shul. They know all those scriptures. They just need to hear them again. And so, you know, obviously you don't want to deliver an entire speech word for word, but an individual story. I don't think we should be as concerned if some people have have heard them before. I uh, just yesterday went and did a speech to the Hotel Association of Canada. And the last time I was with them was February 25th, 2020. So it was like one of the last pre-pandemic live speaking engagements I had. And then this was the first one they've had since, you know, uh, in person since then. And I started by saying, I, I was with you on February 25th, 2020. So what you been doing? <laughs> you know, like, but so for that, I made sure that I didn't repeat anything because it was the same audience. Sure. You know, so I, it's, uh, I, and, and completely different times. So it's a completely new speech, but I don't think we should be as concerned as we typically are. Totally. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And to, you know, make sure that we're taking stock in our stories. I think for some, they don't really think about having a story or having a story worth telling. So I think that's also a compelling point of what you're saying is like, take a, take a think about, you know, what made you who you are? What are some of the things that you have found really interesting in your life? And how could that be relevant to some of the things that we're experiencing in our teams and our organizations? Um, so you tackle some of the biggest challenges that any of us face as a leader and as a person, which is the question of like, who do I trust and how do I elicit trust? How do I create a relationship with people where they know that they can trust me? So you believe and have skillfully articulated the words around what you think this is all about. You've come up with three words that this means. It's think, 
do, say. Could you please share more with us about that, Ron? So the the it's when you align those three things together. You can't cherry pick and just do one of them. But when you when you have all three together, done in a really specific way, this allows you to do two things. It allows you to cut through and kind of be noticed. But we've spent too much time over the past, you know, 20 years talking about that. Like just cut through and you know, and it's not about that at all. Cause you can do some pretty weird and random things to cut through. So it should be, yes, being noticed, but also developing trust while you do it. And so the think part is really kind of just believing in something that goes beyond what you sell. We all have a sales bias. And I think, you know, for our own, you know, lines of business or, or our diversified revenue sources, of course, we've got those biases. So we, we just need to keep those in check and we need to declare them when, um, when we need to. But I think we, you know, the, the line, which I know you've heard before is, you know, people are exhausted from getting pitch slapped, that everyone's got a pitch and everyone's got a promo. And so if you think you're jumping right to the, like, here's my pitch and here's what I sell. And here, you know, that like, A, that just tells me that you're putting you before me. So now, now my gut reaction is like, Ugh, what does this person want to sell me? Trust is just gone completely. You have no interest in, in really understanding me or understanding my needs. You're assuming that whatever you're selling is the thing that I need. So right away, you've lost me. So if you believe in something that goes beyond what you sell, and kind of, you know, an interesting example, if at Airbnb, you think like, oh, they must believe that people should be able to rent out their living rooms. Like, no, the Airbnb belief is that people should feel like they belong anywhere. That's what they fundamentally believe, that we as people should just feel that. That if we go to Hong Kong, that we should feel like we belong in Hong Kong by living or staying in the community, in local communities and going to the cafes and opposed to, going to a hotel. Now, you know, obviously having spoken to the hotel association yesterday, I know that hotels also provide a different experience. They believe in something else that hotels, I think, believe that, um, you know, that when you leave your home, when you're away from home, it should be a VIP experience. That's what it should be like. So both of those two worlds are completely different brand beliefs and they can coexist in this world and they can coexist for different people. So that's the think part. The do part is, you need to do it on purpose, you know, both with intent, but also on purpose, on your corporate purpose that, you know, my friend Warren Tomlin has this line that people are just running around doing random acts of digital. Um, the other thing that people are doing is they're elevating purpose to social cause. They're going like, our corporate purpose is to save the environment. What? You make sheets. Like, what are you talking about? That's not corporate purpose. So the do section, how we do it at my agency is we put the word so in there with our clients. We believe this, so we do this. So if you say we believe we should solve, you know, the environmental crisis, so we make bed sheets, that doesn't make sense. That's not strategically aligned. So the do part is like, you can believe whatever you want, but you're defined by the actions you take. And so, you know, I shouldn't read your values. I should experience your values. And I experience your values through your actions because they're really easy to write. All that stuff is really easy to write. But the do has to be strategically aligned to what you fundamentally believe. And then the third part is, uh, you know, um, that if you believe in something more that's more important and you behave in a way that reinforces that belief, well, that certainly will establish trust. But to grow your business and and to grow your influence with more people, you know, your ideas are adopted and your passions are adopted and your products are adopted by other people by how you communicate them. And so that's the say part. 
And that, you know, that say, you know, we talked about authenticity. And I think that's really at the heart of the say, which is like, can you be completely honest and transparent and authentic about that? You know, one of the best examples I had kind of before I started my agency, I was ECD at a shop and we created this brand spot for Triscuit crackers. And we developed this um, great song that was going to play in the commercial, an original song we had composed. And I had this idea that we should actually write a three minute version of the song and release the song as a single before the commercial ever went to air. Like, let's lead with the music. And so I went to my client and I went to the VP and I said, I think we should do this. I think it's a really cool idea. And it's going to cost you 20 grand. And he said, what's my ROI going to be on that? Now, the inherent sales bias is that you want to say, oh, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. What did I say to him? I said, oh, let's not kid ourselves. You're flushing $20,000 down the toilet. You're flushing it down the toilet. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this is going to be a number one song and you're going to win a Grammy and everything else. I have no idea. But man, if it takes off, if something clicks, this is, you're going to, you're going to blow that. You just blow that out of the water. And why don't we just do it to do it and see what that's like? What happens if you actually create a song and release it to radio? What if Kraft owns a song that's on the radio? What is, how does that work? Let's just do that. So that kind of authentic, honest approach about my own product then led. And so we did it. And of course, it, it climbed to number 99 on the adult contemporary charts. But when I launched my agency, I had a client reach in, the very first client we ever won. And I said, how did you hear about me? And I had nobody. I had no staff. I had nobody. And he said, we went and we talked to Chris and asked for his suggestions and recommendations. And he said, I'm not exactly sure what Ron's doing, but just know that you can trust him. So that trust led to the very first client I ever got in my agency 10 years ago. There's still a client today. Incredible. Oh, thanks for that story. That really illustrates what it feels like to live this way, right? What what is the dividend? Like you talk about ROI and this podcast is ROG, which is like, how do you quantify something that in some cases it's like not quantifiable? But in your case, you're saying if you're consistently transparent and honest and you behave in ways that are congruent with what you say you believe in, and then you share that with other people, that's how people can understand if they can trust you or not and not feel pitch slapped every time you open your mouth and feel like everything is to close a sale or to, to you know, influence some way of thinking, which is exhausting. And, and the way you write about this in your book, which I highly recommend, and for those listening who have not purchased Think, Do, Say yet, please do, but also get the audio book. Because Ron, I had the paper book and then I th- as I'm reading it, I heard your voice and then I was like, I wonder if he did. And I looked it up and you did the audio book, which is priceless because they get to hear you say it in the way you would say it. Amazing. Um, and you share all of these examples of it. And it really sticks with me. This is the kind of book that sticks with you because as you're going through life, not just as a business person, but as a person, it makes me stop and think like, is that authentically what I think? Is that congruent with my beliefs? If so, I want to say something or I'm going to choose not to say something. You know, it's, it's, a, it's almost like a mental checklist mm-hmm. or how to, how to be a good person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, th- thank you for those kind words. Um, I re- had a lot of fun with the audiobook, as you can imagine. When we come back, Ron will share how generous leaders think, do, and say. 
Hello, I'm Marianne Newell, Assistant Director of College Support at St. Joseph University's Kinney Center for Autism Education and Support. Located in Philadelphia, the Kinney Center has a twofold mission to educate and train the autism professionals of tomorrow while supporting and serving individuals and families affected by autism today. I'm part of the Aspire College Support Team, helping St. Joseph's University students with autism achieve collegiate success through social and executive functioning support. Learn more about our services by visiting sju.edu slash k-i-n-n-e-y. And we're back with founder of Church and State, Ron Tite. So how do you see, think, do, say as a generous leader? How could you make the parallels between those three things and being a generous leader? Well, I think that in all three of them, right? So the generous leader, I think, believe, just as a, you know, as a brand believes in something that goes beyond the thing they sell, I think generous leaders believe in something that goes beyond their job title. And so, you know, and it almost kind of loops around, you know, like if you're a brand manager, you actually believe in the stuff that goes beyond being a brand manager, beyond being a director of sales into a more senior role where you want to take care of people and you're not bound by those job titles. But then as the CEO, there's, you know, you don't want to go beyond into chairperson or board member. You actually want to go into frontline employee. Like you want to loop around and believe in, you know, the same things that drive that you know, section of your workforce. Um, so I think the, uh, to be generous is to, uh, once you believe in something more, it allows you to kind of reframe the role of business. And, you know, there's a, a, the university I went to called Queens University, the business school there just launched a campaign. And the headline was, this is business now. And this is business now that, um, you know, social cause may not be at the core of purpose, but leaders have a different role now to really not just take care of shareholder value, but to take care of suppliers and to take care of employees and to take care of the community in which they operate. You know, it's such a great example, Monopoly. I don't know if you ever heard this example, Shannon, but Monopoly, um, they used to have the community chest cards. And in those cards, they would say things like, you just want a beauty pageant, collect $200, you know. And as of September of 2021, they changed those to say, you um, uh, you just shopped locally, collect $200. Or you just volunteered with a charity, collect $200. So if Monopoly, like the most the most pure capitalist board game, you know, uh, the, the definition of capitalism believes that something, you know, we need to be more generous as leaders towards those people beyond our offices, then certainly we can. So that's the first part. The do part is like that... Um, the, the, a generous leader understands that uh, lip service is not enough, that they are defined by the actions they take. And that if you're a leader who only talks about things, things you want to do and your heart might be in the right place, but you never actually prioritize your schedule to do them, then you'll be found out. And it's not only it's you lack generosity because you're not contributing in a way that you want the team to contribute. Um, but you're also probably putting more work on other people. It's more chaotic for them. It's more confusing for them. They don't understand it. And they're not, they don't probably don't have as meaningful a, a job. And then the generosity as applied to how you communicate is that we really need to, you know, communicate with, with the individual person in mind. And then we can, we think we should have the script, you know, and for leaders to follow a script, for me, it's just auto-tune. You know, like you sound like Cher, 
Um, I got nothing against Cher, but it's just auto-tune and they just tune it. It just sounds too perfect. It just sounds too perfect. And if something's too perfect, your people are probably going, uh, they're hiding them real selves from me. Like what else are they hiding? I don't, you know? And I think it's an act of generosity to be vulnerable. It's an act of generosity to show your human side. When we celebrated a holiday, virtual holiday holiday party in 2020 with my team, and I, you know, and, and you know part of the story, but you know, March 11th, the pandemic declared March 13th, my wife and I had a baby. I had no idea. Speaking was canceled on March 12th. Everything for a year with a whole whack of money just walked out the door. I had no idea whether my agency was going to survive. I had no idea. And I had a house under renovation. Like it was just the most chaotic 72 hours of my life. When we hit Christmas time, um, we were joking about funny meetings and stuff like that and what had happened over Zoom and all that. And we said, what was everyone's favorite meeting of this of the year over Zoom? And then they said, what about you? And I thought back and I said, my favorite meeting was our very first pitch in the pandemic was like a $200,000 pitch or something. And we won it. And when we found out I won it, it was such a sigh of relief. And I said, I thought maybe we're going to be okay. And I started to cry in front of my people. And, you know, it was such a an honest, raw moment of me kind of not breaking down, but I was clearly crying about everything we had all been through. And I think, um, and we had some freelancers on the call too, and I sent them a note apologizing for it. And one of them, David Albato said, don't you dare apologize for that. That was the leadership right there. Mm. Um, because I think when you do that, you show other people that you can do it too. Mm. Oh, for sure. Because Ron, thank you for sharing that. I can only imagine you seeing their faces and thinking, you know, yeah, we won this business and we're going to be okay. We're, all these faces are going to be okay. Because I think as a generous leader, it's not about you. It's about them. Yeah, no, I was going to be fine. Like, not, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You'll find a way. You'll you'll take care of it. But you may not be able to sustain an agency with all of these talented people, right? So you think like, oh my gosh, this is the, the, the break or the, the wind in the sails that we needed to be reminded that we're going to be okay. I think that's really beautiful how connected you are with them and your willingness to share yourself. And I do think that those listening who haven't had a moment like that with your team, it's one to aspire for because I think it's an opportunity for us to be real with people. And like you said a moment ago, if when you're not real, people wonder, like, do you really care? So what are some of the ways that you've seen people be generous at work when they're do, thinking and doing and saying these things, particularly the do part? Like, what are some of the activities that you've seen people engage in? Yeah. You know, one of the, um, I, when I was, I started actually as an account guy in advertising at an agency and, I, and, and Shannon, you know me well enough to probably know, like, I'm not a great account. I am so not a details guy, you know, in any way, shape or form. Um, and so, but you know, I was, I was good with relationships. Um, but then I had this moment where, because I was doing comedy and I got caught in a hotel fire and my, my life flashed, or as I said to the president of the agency, I want to move into the creative department and I'll take a pay cut to do it. And he said, off. And I said, okay, I will work on my portfolio. I will, you know, I'll keep working here, but I'm going to pitch other agencies to get, you know, hired as a junior writer. And he said, no, 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 no. I didn't say that because of that. You will move into the creative department. You have two weeks to find your replacement in the account services. 
I told you to F off because you should never take a pay cut. You have developed skills as an account person that are going to make you a way better writer than somebody else starting out. You've been writing comedy for the past few years. You're already a great writer. Never, ever, ever discount your own value like that. This is the guy who was in charge of the bottom line. And he said, don't never take a pay cut. Don't do not do that. And I thought that was such an act of generosity. And he probably in some weird way lost a certain portion of his bonus because of that. Ah, oh, that's awesome. Thank you for that. That's a, such a great story. And I think it goes to the point where I know you believe in Ron is that it's up to you to find your own happiness. It's up to you to find the way that you want to contribute to your organization, to your life, to your community, right? It's on all of us to, to find that thing. And it took that very unfortunate event for you to get that absolute clarity, yeah. your willingness to say, I'm not waiting anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolute clarity. As, as Jennifer Yonolo says, no one's coming. No one's coming to make you happy. No one's coming to make you successful. No one's coming to support you. Yes. So on that point of uh, quotes and mantras and things that help us to prioritize and know who we are and, you know, keep us motivated. One of your favorite quotes is by Susie Welsh. It's that truth and trust in an organization means there's no meeting before the meeting. Yes. What do you I love that. Cause there's all like, can I just grab you for two seconds before we go in and have a conversation with five other people? Can I pre-sell you on the thing? And then it just becomes like a staged drama of people playing roles. And I'm like, why don't we just have the conversation? Like, why don't we just in front of everybody? Like, why don't we just have it out? And as soon as I heard, I was doing a, a gig with her and um, she's brilliant, former, you know, editor of the Harvard Business Review. And I called people and I was like, put this on the wall. <laughs> you know, like I'm, just, I'm tired of the meeting before the meeting. <laughs> no more meetings before yeah. the meetings. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great advice for anyone who's doing that in their own organizations recognize that it's an opportunity to think, do, and say, trust, build trust among each other so you don't have to spend time doing that. Uh, Ron, thank you for being the light you are. I deeply appreciate our friendship and just who you are in the world. Thank you for sharing your gifts with us. Thank you, Shannon. Thanks for having me. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. ROG takeaway tip, how to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Ron shared so many nuggets of truth for us to consider how to integrate into our lives. Let's contemplate our own personal think, do, say. Ron teaches us that great people and great organizations succeed in this busy, busy world based on what they think, which is the purpose behind the person or the company, what they do, how they behave to reinforce that purpose, and what they say how they talk about what they believe and how they act. So what do you think? Meaning, what's your bigger purpose or why? Your values and beliefs. What do you believe? These are big questions and worthy of consideration. For example, I deeply believe generosity is the future of leadership. Being generous, inclusive, vulnerable, humble, and curious are expectations of leaders. Then what do you do? What are the actions you take? Things that you prioritize to honor what you think. Are you taking deliberate and intentional actions on the things that you say you care about? For example, I think generosity is the future of leadership. And if your experience of me is that I'm self-serving, pitch slapping, looking out for myself, that would just be out of sync. 
So once you've clarified what you think, the doing will flow. Deprioritize or discontinue activities that no longer reinforce your beliefs so that you can be truly committed to delivering on your purpose. And lastly, what do you say? Take a scroll or an audit of your posts, your tweets, and your articles. Hear the words that you're using when you're communicating with others. Are they congruent with your values? Do they echo your purpose and express it in a meaningful way? What are the topics that you tend to speak up about? What is the tone and pitch of your message? How does that sync up with your purpose and your personal brand? I say generosity is the future of leadership, not financial giving, but giving time, a break, feedback, mentoring, sponsorship, support, a chance, forgiveness, exposure, time. Say the words that are congruent with and echo your purpose. What we say, how we say it, and when we say it are relevant and ought to be intentional. So this week, invest some quality time considering what you believe. With respect to that belief, what are actions that are congruent and activated? Lastly, think about the message that you share, the stories that you tell, the impact that you make with your words. It matters. Trust matters. You matter. Join us next week with Michelle Meyer Ship, CEO of Dress for Success Worldwide. Until then, think, do, say, and stay generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.